Hello and welcome to another episode of the PFRS podcast. I'm your host, Eric Dahl. You're listening to the Kilo Chaser segment featuring Travis Cooper. Listen up. You're Travis Cooper, the nas- multinational champion, world team member. Um, what's uh, Give me your background as a competitor in weightlifting and where it started and how you progressed. Um, kind of cliff notes, but you know, expand where you feel necessary. Sure. So basically, when I was younger, I uh, played a ton of sports. You know, football, baseball, wrestling. You know, roller hockey. You name it, I did it. Um, and at the end of the day, I just really enjoyed the weight room. You know, in the off season of football, I loved working out, uh, you know, lifting weights. Uh, you know, at the time, there, were, there was little, very little weight lifting. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we did squats, bench, deadlifts, you know, all kinds of dumbbell stuff. And then we had cleans and then very little snatching in, in the program. But I just loved the weight room. And uh, I was in the off season for wrestling. And I wanted to get better at wrestling. And so I went to a place called Velocity Sports Performance and met my first coach, CJ Stockel. And, uh, you know, he asked me how much I could squat. And I said 500 pounds. I think he didn't believe me because at the time (laughs) I was I was just a kid. And, you know, people like to lie or they just don't understand. But I started squatting and got up to about 450. And he was like, "Okay, like you actually are pretty strong. Um, You're going to start training with me every day now. (laughs) and uh and i did and i was like wow this is its own sport you know i can stop playing all these other sports that i just play so that i can get in the weight room and do what i love and so i did continue to play other sports through high school but um weightlifting is the thing that has stuck uh for life so far so uh, that's kind of the cliff notes right there yeah so how old were you when you won your first nationals um, well, so I, I started weightlifting when I was like 16 mm-hmm. and then going into 17, that's your last year of youth. Yeah. And at that time, weightlifting was a little smaller. So I was like a, I was a solid youth lifter, but, um, you know, probably wouldn't win youth nationals this year if I was doing the same numbers I did. But uh, that year I did, I won youth nationals. Okay. And, um, so that was at 17, my first senior nationals I won in 2013. Uh, which I was 25 years old. Okay, but uh, you know, along the way, I, I've I've been blessed to uh, progress in the sports to a point where I've won, you know, youth nationals, junior, uh, collegiate nationals, and senior nationals. And then next year, I age up to the masters. So who knows? Maybe I'll I'll win a couple of those in different age categories. Yeah, nice. Um, so are you? Do you have your own team that you're coaching now? I do, yeah. Um, I keep it to about ten lifters. Um, two of them are, are very nationally competitive, okay. um, and then we have varying levels beyond that. I have a couple of good masters athletes as well. Um, so, so at the masters level, they're very competitive, um, and then I have a couple of of very beginners, uh, folks that are just getting started, okay. and so it's it's a lot of fun. Um, I only live close enough to three of the lifters to help them in person sometimes, but a lot of it's remote. Um, but I do see my athletes at several meets and, you know, some of them also coach their own athletes. Okay. Um, yeah. Oh, hold on. My daughter's. trying to play basketball out right outside of the door <laughs> um so w- w- when did you start coaching uh in the last have you, has it been like a progression um once you like got into your mid to late 20s did you just pick up athletes or was it just a natural switch for you to pick up and coach along the way sure so i, I have a little bit of an interesting background because uh uh, a lot of times now what happens is as you become uh, a better athlete, you start your online team and, and, and kind of dip your toes in the water. 
with coaching. Um, and it kind of progresses from there, but I started doing weightlifting before there was social media, before it was a popular thing to do. And so, um, really after college, I decided instead of being a software developer, I wanted to coach weightlifting and pursue the Olympics. Um, and my dad thought I was an idiot probably, <laughs> but yeah. you know, he didn't say that he, he just was a little skeptical, yeah. but he said, I support you, you know, and, um, along the way, eventually they realized that I probably made the right choice because of the opportunities I ended out getting. Um, but kind of had to take that leap. So I ran a weightlifting program at a gym called CrossFit Atlanta when I was pretty young. So between like the ages of around 22 to 24 before I moved to muscle driver. Okay. So this was like the years of like, I don't know, 2010 to 2012. Yeah. And, uh, some of those people were pretty good, actually. So we had uh, myself and then we had two other national medalists. And again, like weightlifting wasn't quite as competitive, but, um, you know, I coached a 77 kilo lifter who totaled around uh, 295. Um, he actually um, got second to James Tatum at the American Open the year that I moved to Muscle Driver. And Dang. at that point, um I had already moved away, so I wasn't coaching him at that point. But right up until that meet, I had been coaching him. Uh, he had medaled at nationals in the snatch a couple times and at junior nationals. And then a couple people that I wasn't necessarily their coach of record, but was their training partner and, and would guide them. Uh, one guy medaled at nationals. And um, so we had some competitive CrossFitters um, and, and pretty good weightlifters during that time. So that really uh, helped me learn how to coach folks. And, um, you know, of course, I've adapted over time. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah. Nice. Um, in that, when did you start to dabble into uh, setting up competitions and being on the, on the, like, management side of a competition instead of being on the platform? Yeah, definitely. So, really, I was you know, when you're younger and this is a huge blessing, you're not involved in the politics or organization of anything. Yeah. <laughs> so, so things are a lot more fun. You can just coach and lift and you don't even know that there's this other side of things. Mm -hmm. Um, but probably at muscle driver. So, um, 2015, um, I was coaching this guy at a CrossFit gym. His name is Joe Vogelbacher. Okay. And, uh, he is, uh, one of the owners at a brewery called Sugar Creek Brewing Company. And uh, he's a great guy. He was into lifting for a while. And one day I started talking to him and, and he somehow comes up that he owns the brewery. And he gave me a free, uh, a couple free drink passes. And I said, cool, I'll check it out. And I looked at him and I was like, you know, it'd be awesome. So if we had a meet at a brewery, you know, <laughs> and he kind of laughed. And yeah, I didn't expect anything to ever come of it. Um, and then like two or three weeks later, he came to class and he was like, Hey, you know, I've been thinking and, uh, I want to host a weightlifting meet at the brewery. Yeah. And I said, I said, all right, well, like, let's make it happen. So in my mind, I was basically jumping up and down. Yeah. But, uh, you know, muscle driver was hosting some meets at that time, just in, in the uh, facility, which was pretty cool. And so we had an idea of how to make a meet look aesthetically pleasing and, and, uh, John North was uh running his meets and um you know he did some things like play music during the lifting and yeah. encourage people to, to cheer and do things and so i wanted to kind of combine those two things and have a meet that looked aesthetically good um and, and built an atmosphere that was very unique because a long time ago like years ago there was weightlifting meets and breweries all the time you really it's kind of a cultural thing but then you know, for probably like 30 years, it didn't happen. And then we made it happen again. And now all across the country, uh, people are having meets and breweries and it seems like a fairly popular thing, but, yeah. um, I, I run a, a little side gig barbells and brews, and we actually just had one in Denver this weekend. Um, and so it's a lot of fun, man. You know, we play music, we encourage people to cheer after they lift, um, everybody gets a, a drink ticket. So after they lift, they can have a drink and stick around and, and, and yell. And, uh, we try to encourage a big crowd to show up. And then sometimes like patrons of the brewery just come down and get exposed to weightlifting. So it's yeah. a win, win. 
the uh, the breweries actually do pretty well, and so they like us to go there. Yeah, you know, I mean because influx. Yeah, like basically, breweries don't get business before like noon on Saturdays and Sundays, and we have our first weigh in at eight in the morning. And uh, like in Denver, people started drinking at nine thirty. It's always surprising. Yeah, but. You know, they're making sales and if it was a regular hours, it, it maybe not wouldn't seem significant. But since people are there from like eight in the morning until six at night, uh, they make quite a bit more sales than they ordinarily would. Oh, yeah. And so it, it becomes pretty easy for us to make a partner. There you go. Um, so that was your the, the first meet that you ever did was was the Barbells and Brews. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. And that was in, in 2015, we did the first one in Charlotte. I mean, you know, I had helped out with a bunch of meats, but I was never officially like a meat director per se. So yeah. that was probably the first one that, uh, and if I ever did another one, it was like a very small one at the CrossFit gym before weightlifting was popular. So maybe yeah. it had like, you know, 20 people or 30 people. Meats weren't very big a long time ago. I actually used to be able to sign up for them the day of the competition and sign up for USA weightlifting membership. But now, you know, meats sell out in advance. Yeah. And so, you know, my experience with maybe a 30 person, three session meet didn't really carry over to a six session, 75 person meet. It's a lot more hectic. So that was my first experience with um, a bigger meet with the music and the whole atmosphere like that. Mm -hmm. Um, so with that, having that many lifters, how did you, was it pretty easy to fill the spots? Did you have to do much advertising or was it, you just a couple months in advance, you put it out there on, well, back then there wasn't really social media, there's MySpace or whatever, but, um, how, how did you go about your, uh, uh, you mean prior to the 2015 meter or in 2015 in 2015? Yeah. Yeah, I would say, um, I mean, at that time, like Muscle Driver was fairly popular. Social media was a, a big thing already. And so we had like the YouTube videos on oh, yeah. um, social media. Um, you know, when you're running a meet, depending on what city you hosted in or state. Now, up up here, I live in the New England area now. So in Rhode yeah. Island, people sign up for meets in advance. Mm. And the meets sell out very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. In, uh, in North Carolina and in Denver, where we host the Barbells and Brews, it is a little nerve wracking because people usually don't like to sign up for the meet until about six weeks out. So you're always, you know, putting it out there and trying to struggle to get like your first 20 to 30 people to sign up. And Mm -hmm. then you usually have this huge uh, influx of emails at the end and you have some decisions to make. Do you want to cut it off at like 60 lifters or do you want to go to 80 and have like an all day thing? Damn. Um, and do you want to look at the breakdown of male and female lifters and decide, hey, I got 10 more female spots because I'll open up a session, but I have to choose if it's going to be a male or a female session. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely a lot that goes into it. And, and you know, we try to advertise those meets and, and, you know, utilize social media in different ways. And, you know, originally at Muscle Driver, we had a, a videographer named Derek Sellis, very talented guy. And, uh, he, uh, he was a videographer for the team and, and was generous and, and made a couple of YouTube videos for us. And so that helped jumpstart. So our popularity at muscle driver at that point in time, as well as like having some solid content, um, mm-hmm. really helped. So I would say a meet today, I try to, we usually have similar, um, maybe not the same venue, but try to do like the same city. And we'll get some flyers, send them out to gyms, um, and then use like an app like Canva or something like that to create yeah. some ads on social media. And, uh, you know, also try to keep an email list from the past. A lot of people that have a great time are going to be the ones that want to come back and have a great time. So I think if the, the first couple of years you do something is the most difficult. So if you can keep a list of those folks and give them a way to unsubscribe if they want to, yeah, then um, you know, tell them tell them when the event's coming up. Don't don't hammer them with emails, but send them an email here and there. Hey, we're going to be there in three months. Do you want to sign up? Yeah. Or hey, we're going to open up registration at six months from now. We'll give you a ten dollar discount code if you sign up in the next fifteen days or whatever. Yeah. 
you know, just uh, build awareness. So there's, there's different things that we do for sure. Nice. How did you, how do you go about now with, um, with all the, the equipment and, and stuff? Do you have deals with uh, manufacturers for the bars and plates or do you source that locally with, with gyms and training centers? Yeah. So, so we've had both situations. So a lot of times we try to work with a company that is local to the location that we're at. So, um, you know, in Charlotte, um, originally, of course, I had access to the equipment at Muscle Driver. Once they shut down, um, I built a relationship with uh, Vulcan. Yep. And uh, they're also based out of Charlotte. And to be honest with you, I didn't even know that till Muscle Driver shut down. And so there's a guy named uh, uh, Cyrus, and he's a pretty cool guy. And their equipment's actually really good. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he'll come out there, pre-sell some equipment, um, sell it at a discount for the stuff that's used on the platform and, um, you know, set up a, 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 a place in the venue to, uh, showcase some other equipment. And so, you know, um, sometimes they have better sales at the event than others, but at least they're getting awareness and people see their plates being used at a, at a meet that is, uh, you know, pretty neat. Yeah. And, um, so that's what we've done in Charlotte. There's a couple of, uh, in Denver, um, this time. Uh, in the past, we've we've worked with a company called Simpsons, but okay. they usually just uh, provide competition platform equipment, and so we'll have to work with a local gym. So this year, Denver Barbell Club was very generous. It's an awesome place, actually. But they were super generous and let us come in and take five sets of plates, and uh, we had a set of competition plates that the one of the guys that I partner with had, and. Um, so RJ Smith is, is one of the guys that we partner with. He used to own CrossFit Omni in Denver, okay. but he no longer owns that, but he's a, he's a real estate agent, really organized guy. And he's on the ground out there, uh, building relationships with local gym owners. And, um, and he's a very trustworthy guy. And so, so he's able to build those relationships in Denver nice. and, um, for, for meets last year, uh, true athletics has been willing to sponsor a lot of meets. Mm-hmm. So they, they uh, are a newish company. I mean, you know, it's been a couple of years, but with COVID and everything, it seems like they're newer than they are. Yeah. Uh, but they, they sponsor a lot of meets in Texas. Okay. And uh, they sponsored our state championships in North Carolina. And um, I was able to, to use the place that we didn't sell uh, for the meets that we did in Rhode Island. So a combination of them all. I think True Athletics is is one of the companies that's most willing to sponsor competitions lately, though. Okay. Um, have you thought about like looking to like local lumber stores or anything like that for sponsorship for your platforms or anything like trying to source outside of the community? I guess. Yeah, that, I mean that's a good idea. We have not done that um, at the Barbells and Brews. Sometimes we, you know depending on how large the space is, we have some pretty good looking, uh, rubber mats. So like stall mats that are really smooth. So that's what we use in Denver this year is like 10 stall mats. And, uh, then the competition platform, their weightlifting state organization has a plywood platform that, uh, it's pretty beat up now, but it actually, it looks decent once you put it together. Um, but it's been used for years and years. Um, and uh the brewery now since we've hosted so many competitions they let us just the one in charlotte they let us keep plywood there and so we have enough plywood for five warm-up platforms at that particular location but yeah nice you, you know one of the tough things about competitions is if you're hosting a meet in a gym it's so easy to set up. You have all the equipment there. You just got to rent some chairs and that's about it. Yeah. Chairs, get a banner, get the athlete badges, print out some paperwork and, you know, electronic scoring system and stuff like that. I, I've gone to now, but, um, it's, it's, it's pretty easy in comparison. Like a brewery, they have no weightlifting equipment there. Um, so you have to bring in everything. Yeah. And so, it, it's tough. There's a lot of coordination and organization that goes into uh, 
a venue that has nothing in it. Yeah. No, that's that's what I'm I'm looking at too uh, over here is I'm looking at outdoor venues which adds even a more difficult aspect to it cuz then you're dealing with power and logistics and cover for weather and and parking and all that stuff. But um how big's your team as far as like your your production team for the for the event? Yeah, so the one in Denver, we have a lot of people that help. Um, and so the one in Denver definitely like, you know, at the end of the day, it it doesn't really make any money because, um, we all essentially like come there, put on the event. And so we just try to break even at the event. Um, but there, uh, there's a guy that runs the electronic scoring. Mm -hmm. Um, his name's Ben Wells. He does a lot of the meets in Colorado. And so, um, he does such a good job that it's totally worth paying him to, to run the system. Yeah. Um, and he actually taught me over time how to use the computer system. And so I implement that at the meets that I run here, but when I'm running the computer system, like I literally can't do anything else because, um, I, I basically have to announce and run the com- computer system. Um, so in Colorado that opens me up to be like a utility guy. If we need a loader, if we need a ref, um, if somebody's having a problem yeah. or I need to weigh people in. Um, and that's really where you want to be as a, a meet director is if there's an emergency, you can kind of step in wherever mm-hmm. and you don't want to be tied to one spot. That's super important. Yeah. Um, but you just kind of want to be that manager from far away that when something breaks down, you step in, but you're available most of the day yeah. so that, that you have the ability to, but, uh, with that being said, Denver, I would say we have like seven people that are heavily involved. And then, of course, it takes more folks than that um, with volunteers. Um, and at other meets, though, um, you know, some of the meets, it's just me and one or two other people that are really heavily involved. And, of course, we're scrambling around to get those volunteers. Yeah. Um and, and that's really one of the toughest parts about having a meet. And so what I do is I create like a Google spreadsheet okay. and I have a template for that, that, that could certainly give you. Um, but you create that spreadsheet and send it out with all of our communication and, and encourage people to sign up to volunteer and, you know, just let them know like, Hey, we cannot put on the best event possible if, if we don't get volunteers. So please, sign up for one session, you know, after you live, before you lift, um, a couple sessions before or after. Um, and usually it is kind of scary going in to the meet because a lot of times your spreadsheet gets about halfway to three quarters filled up. But once people are at the meet, they'll step up, you know, if they know that they're needed, they'll step up. The community is really good. Oh, absolutely. Um, what's your, What's your, like, if you're going to, like, pick one thing to focus on um, in the entire meet for you personally, like, what's the biggest thing that you feel has to get right that, that, like, you're going to put the most energy into to make sure it's the best experience for the lifters, on for, for the lifters, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's a tough question. I mean, assuming all the basic stuff is figured out. Mm-hmm. I think loaders make or break the competition. Okay. So if the loaders are slow, the competition is going to run behind. Yeah. And if the loaders know what they're doing and they're fast, um, the meat runs smooth and, and having the meat run on time is, is really, you know, at the end of the day, you can't always control that. Like sometimes it's going to run an hour behind by the end. Yeah. But if you can run on time and you also provide an experience that was, organized and fun uh people are going to come back because not every meet is able to pull that off yeah and i think it really comes down the biggest part is the loading okay um and do you find utilizing other lifters from other sessions is the best way to go or do you do you try to like get like encourage others from the local gyms to help out that aren't necessarily going to lift. Just say, Hey, you know, come be a part of this. We'll give you 50 bucks or a hundred bucks for a couple sessions. And yeah. Yeah. So it totally depends. Like if I have someone that I know is a very, very skilled loader 
um, I would definitely be willing to to pay them to be the loading captain. Yeah. And, you know, the goal of that job is not necessarily to break your back all day, mm-hmm. but it's to be the, the person in charge of reaching out to people once you get there, encouraging folks to load with you, um, mentoring them on how to use the competition collars and the plates, like the first few plate changes, and yeah. also not being afraid to get out there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I love to work with people who have pride in the meat as well. And um, so my buddy from Atlanta, Andy Coggins, he came out with me at Denver. We've been doing Denver together for a long time, but he runs a meet called All South Barbell, and he volunteers. He gets his team to volunteer at USA Weightlifting uh, meets, national meets all the time for loading. They're amazing. Uh, So me and him did a lot of the loading this weekend, you know, and and he's like a great coach, like, you know, somebody who – at the end of the day, like a lot of people would be like, oh my God, you guys are out there loading. But it's like, yeah, this is a, one of the most important jobs. Like, yeah, you can't be afraid to grind and do the work. And um, so whether it's you or somebody else you trust, I mean, obviously you don't want to be loading every single bar, right? I mean, it's yeah. just, it's painful. But if you lead by example and, and have a couple people that you trust and, um, you know, if, if that person can be there all day and you, you pay them something, that's totally fair and worth it. Yeah, I totally get that. It's, it's one of those things I didn't even think of. Like, I guess I've always, the the few meets that I've done around here haven't really had any problems. There's one, there's one that the session before mine, you could tell that they were fumbling and it was like they had, they had one guy that knew what he was doing and two that were just rookies at it and they were fumbling with the changes and and whatnot it was a little bit hectic but uh yeah yeah. and and that happens i mean you know that's expected at a local meet but you always want to have one person out there that knows like when they hear a weight they know exactly what it should look like you don't you don't want any mislows occasionally it's going to happen no matter how good good people are but you know usually you catch it if it's if it's something out there but um but yeah, loading, loading is everything, you know, and also having, having a good announcer that knows how to flow and talk to the loaders. Mm-hmm. Um, we, at most of the meets now, we have a computer system that shows uh, the lifting order. Okay. So it'll show what the next weight on the bar is going to be. So the loaders can see that. But if you don't have that, you have to have an announcer that can say, uh, you know, that was a good lift. Next on the bar is 135 you know, um, with so-and-so and and then on the whole for the increase is so-and-so. So So they know to be ready for a change. Um, and and so the way the announcer talks can cue the loaders for, for what weight is next. And that's really important as well. Thanks. Have you had, um, kind of going off of that, have you had a, a competition that just like everything seemed to go wrong? Like just just an absolute, you know, snowball effect, anything bad like that? Uh, thankfully, we, we've never had a whole competition go go poorly. Um, you know, we, we did have one barbells and brews that in Charlotte, it ran over about an hour. Uh, I think the crowd and the, and the athletes had such a fun time, though. But, um, you, you know, the, the loading was a bit slow, and we had an aggressive schedule that didn't quite get met. Okay. Um, and so, you know, it happens, but, uh, I, th- I think like the biggest things that, you know, you can make up for it. If the venue is cool, the music yeah. is good and people are hitting PRs. If, if you're building an atmosphere where people do well, <laughs> then, uh, um, you know, of course every competition might have like one or two weird things happen. Mm-hmm. It's certainly possible that if you have new loaders, you could have a misload and have to take an extra lift. I mean, you know, over the course of 10 or 20 meets, like you're going to have stuff like that happen. Yeah. You're, you're going to have, um, the computer system might, uh, something might happen where you might have to pause the meet for a technical stop for a little bit. Um, you know, stuff, stuff happens. Somebody might, um, you know, pee on the floor, get blood on the bar and you're not quite prepared with, with the stuff to clean with, you know? Yeah. Um, so there, there's always stuff that, uh, 
there's a lot of moving pieces and occasionally you can miss something small and then you don't realize it until you need it. <laughs> yeah. And there's 10 minutes to try to find a bucket and bleach and or ammonia or whatever to clean it yeah, up. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's another thing that didn't even cross my mind. I'm kind of like through this whole process, you know, I've talked, talking to you, I've talked to Crystal McCulloch, I'm talking to Joe Beck, uh, this weekend. Um, I'm in contact with Cody Robinson down at SoCal Barbell um, mm-hmm. and just trying to put together like a, a punch list of just these things this, from A to B, beginning to end. This is what you need. These are the these are the little niche things that, you know, anybody can miss. Even even a, you know, a seasoned veteran of running a meet will will just sometimes just overlook this thing. I'm trying to put put this list together. So, you know, people that haven't even thought about putting on a meet or, or scared to do it, have a blueprint of, okay, I have, I want to open up, open up, open up 30 lifters for a weekend, you know, and it's going to be, this is how you sanction it. And this is how you insure it and all that stuff. And, and this is, this is how you're going to go about it and make it the best lift or best lifting experience you can. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and that's great that you're doing the, the legwork to talk to other folks who put on meets because, um, you know, and, and I think the biggest thing for most people and, um, you know, it's just to put on a meet that has like two sessions, you know, yeah. put on a, a really small, like even if it's just like an unsanctioned free meet, just put something small together so you have an idea. Um, but, you know, I have this master list, so, I mean, I can kind of walk through um, that a little bit in a verbal way where it makes sense to people. Yeah, no, that'd be great. So, you know, like when people come into your venue, whatever it is, they're going to need to check in and get direction from folks. And so we have a check-in table with one to two volunteers. I like to have, um, athlete badges. Uh, you can get those laminated staples. I work with a company that makes badges. Um, they look pretty sharp. Um, always like to give them a shirt. Uh, mm-hmm. People love the shirt. It's good advertisement. Um, I just build it into to what I charge for the competition. Yeah. And um, always make sure that, that uh, we have that. Uh, have them sign a waiver depending on the location. So and that, that's usually going to come from the brewery, the gym, or whatever. Um, and then a lanyard for their athlete badge. And then I give them their athlete card prior to weigh-ins. So I, I don't like people to check in way in advance. I have them wait until their weigh-ins is about to start. Okay. And um, when the weigh-ins are about to start, I'll hand each athlete their athlete card and tell them, hey, go go line up, you know, by the weigh-in room. Um, so they'll head over there. And then in weigh-ins, you know, I'll have one volunteer that is the same gender as the athletes, um, you know, just a safe sport thing. Got to make sure that. Oh, yeah. And, um like to have a scale that weighs to the hundreds for a local meet. It needs to weigh at least to the tenths. Okay. Um, and then, you know, that volunteer needs a pin and they'll collect all the athlete cards. So as the athletes weigh in, they'll collect all the cards and say there's 10 or 12 people. Once they have all 12 of them, they take those cards to the announcer and that person is done with that session for weigh-ins. Nice. Um, in the warm up room, we always have, uh, uh, five warm-up platforms mostly if it's a one platform competition we have five warm-up platforms if it's two we have eight to ten um and so that would mean if it's a one platform competition we need five warm-up platforms like to have one denomination or, or one plate per denomination so all the 25 20 15 10 5 two and a half two one and a half one and point fives um that's not always completely necessary but um, it's just nice to have one plate of each denomination on there and then want each platform to have a men's and a women's bar. One thing that's easy to forget about is youth lifters. If you have youth lifters signing up, you're going to want to accommodate them with a youth bar, some two and a halfs, maybe some fives. And then we want some chalk with, with uh, chalk buckets back there. And those can just be like Home Depot buckets. They don't have to be fancy or anything. Right. Um, then for the crowd, we like to have chairs. Got to have chairs for the referees and spectators and the loaders. And then, you know, you have the competition platform that's 12 by 12. Like to have full set of plates with at least one extra set of 25s. 
You yep. know, most meets are at least going to have somebody doing 125, sometimes 175, but usually we'll have two uh, sets of 25s on the competition platform. And then if we need a third, um, we'll pull one of the sets from the warm up room. Yeah. And then if it's a branded competition where only the competition platform is of that brand, we'll take the 125 off, put the off brand in the middle. So that okay. when we're taking photos, if True True Athletics is sponsoring the meet and, and we only have two sets of those, then when we get photos of this big lift, it will be True Athletics all the way through the picture. Gotcha. Um, so comp platform, banner, zip ties, um, and then a couple of people to load. And then the, the announcer and marshals table, uh, we like to have a microphone with speakers, the athlete cards, and uh, – you know, a computer system, if that, if that is, uh, something you're going to do is run an electronic scoring. So that, that's pretty much my master list. I literally took up an email from this past weekend mm -hmm. and, and went through the stuff that we had, uh, checked off. Nice. No, that's awesome. That's good to have. I'm probably going to, obviously I'm going to do the same thing. Um, mm -hmm. there's, uh, on the, on the back end, um, after the after everything's all said and done and the competitions or the lifting's complete, how do you when you're going through and and processing and and doing your your medal ceremonies and stuff like that? Do you wait until the end or do you do one after each session or or how do you how do you go about that? And then also also depending on the size of the meet, how do you break up your awards? Yeah, for sure. So. Um, most of the barbells and bruise meets, we run it by entry total. And there's a couple of reasons we do that. It's advantageous from uh, an organizational perspective because the meet's going to run faster. There's less two-minute clocks Yeah, because you're going to be lifting with people of similar abilities. Also, from the lifting perspective, um, it's fun to lift with people around your capability, you know, so you're, you're yeah. in a little bit of competition there. Um the negatives of that is we can't give out awards for the weight classes until the end of the day. Okay. So a lot of times you might have some, some lifters that don't stick around for awards. So that's definitely a negative. Um, at most of the, the local competitions um, that I've been hosting now, I try to do a hybrid model. So I'll have like two female sessions back to back and I might do like the 45 kilo to 71 kilos. So having half the women's weight classes. Okay. But doing those two sessions by entry total. And then at the end of the second session, I give out the medals for 45 through 71 women. Gotcha. And, you know, do the same thing for men and then the rest of the women, the rest of the men. So my, my past two meets in Rhode Island have had four women's sessions and two men's sessions. So I guess that is, is surprising, but um, yeah, that they sell out super quick and we have women signing up like really fast. And so, um, we'll have one men's session with like 55 to 81 or 89, depending on how many, what the breakdown of lifters is. And then we'll have the, the two women sessions with the heavier women mm -hmm. separated by entry total and then give those medals out at the end of that session. So in, in that format, we're giving out medals, um, at least every other session. Okay. Um, and I think that hybrid model is good. And then of course, you know, if it's a state championships or something, you're going to have to do it by weight class. But yeah. That's, and then we'll give out medals after that session, but that means the meat goes way slower. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, let's see. How, how do you handle the logistics of getting like, are you there a, the day before setting up? Or are you trying to do everything in the morning? Oh, no. Yeah, it's not possible to do it in the morning. I mean, it's possible, I guess, but it would be extremely stressful. Okay. Um, so we set up the day before. Um, some of these meets at breweries, I'll start getting equipment there like a week in advance. Just oh, okay. so everything's there, right? I mean, th that's a special scenario where literally no weightlifting equipment's there. They have the ability to store stuff. Yeah. And that's under the assumption that I'm local to, yeah. to the place. Mm -hmm. Um, 
in this weekend, I'm not local to Denver. So we worked with a gym and we got a U-Haul trailer and we had like seven people, like I was saying before. So the team's pretty large. We can get that U-Haul. We had a gym that was willing to work with us. And so we could take all that equipment, toss it in the U-Haul, get to the venue, set it up that night um, after they close. And then the next morning we're doing the meet and then we're, we're stuffing the U-Haul back up and taking it to the barbell club immediately following the competition. So um, depending on, on, you know, how important the timeline is, um, the, the further out you can start bringing stuff and, and going through your checklist, the better it is. Yeah. But, uh, you know, sometimes you just don't have that ability. Yeah. Um, where do you usually have your state champions at? State championships? Yeah. Sorry. Um, so the, the one in North Carolina, um, originally we weren't going to be running it this year, but it ended out um, the, the original organizer had to pull out. So we ended out kind of uh, convincing uh, him to, to let us have it. So, um, and he helped out with it. So it was at, a, it was at the brewery in Charlotte. Okay. And uh, so we had that for two days and, and that gave us the ability to work with a, um, a location that we've worked with for a long time. And they had trust in us that we would help them get some business. And so they were able to give us that spot for two days. Um, and nice. yeah, it's difficult to start with a new location and convince them to give you a spot for two days. Um, so if you build a partnership with, with someone that knows that you're going to bring them business yeah, and you stay true to that, like, Hey, like we're going to bring you business. I have numbers from other breweries. Um, then they will not charge you for their space. Right. Yeah. Um, and so it's important that you have a vision for them to get business. Yeah. And then in turn, they'll help you out with giving you space to essentially bring them business. Um, but if you're not producing, they're not going to give you, give you the spot again. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, th I think like we were able to get two days because we have a history with them and they, they knew that we'd be able to pull through and help them. Cool. Um, what do you do for sponsorships? Do you do anything that's, uh, do you have like booths outside of the equipment suppliers? Do you like, does caffeine kilos show up? Do you have, any like other apparel virus, whoever, um, get involved? Yeah, it depends on the meat. Um, sometimes I do better with this than others. Um, so like for the Denver meat, we didn't have a ton of sponsors, um, and, and, and prizes, but the focus was on making sure that everyone had a really good experience and the meat ran on time. So we were very successful with that. And I don't think people missed out mm -hmm. on, on those big prizes because the experience was so good and the location was so good. But it's always a bonus if you have time to, to have people set up and, you know, have, have some apparel, um, uh, you know, caffeine and kilos in the past has definitely provided some, some stuff for the winners. Onyx straps has as well. Okay. Um, two food. It's very good. You know, they provided belts in the past for the, for the Sinclair winners or, uh, winners of weight classes even. Yeah. Um, so yeah, companies like that, I'm sure, I'm sure I'm forgetting some, but, uh, you know, it, it's definitely a bonus to have those things. Yeah. Um, so in your space, do you, do you outside of getting stuff for the winners? Um, like I know, I know John North and, and Jessica have, they, they've sold, sold, they've had, um, spaces for, for like for booths for local companies to, to show up. Have you ever done anything like that? Yeah. Sometimes we'll have folks reach out to us. Um, and I, I usually don't charge people in anything to set up. I mean, sometimes people say, Hey, I know I'm going to have like a few hundred people rolling through here. Um, you know, so in order to set up a booth, you need to pay a certain level, like $200 or something. And then they're yeah. definitely going to make more money back than that. So, I mean, that's one way to go about it. I've never done that. Um, because I always, felt like building the experience for the competitors, like 
it would just enhance their experience if somebody was there. Um, mm-hmm. So, for instance, the guy who runs Snatch and Snacks, yeah, um, he's made a couple logos for me in the past, and I said, hey, you know, come and sell shirts, and so it's kind of like an exchange of value there. So he's he's helping us with the logo, and then you know, hopefully he's making a few hundred dollars selling shirts that day, so it kind of makes up for it, right? Yeah. Um, and so we've had chiropractors reach out to us and set up. Um, you know, some of these things you have to make sure that they're licensed in the state and, you know, you should oh, be yeah. a little, little careful with some things, but, uh, a little due diligence. Yeah. Yeah. But mo- most of the time you don't have any issues. And, um, you know, as far as insurance goes, you mentioned that earlier and the meat is sanctioned through USA weightlifting. And then each competitor has to be a USA weightlifting member. So if someone, you know, it can happen and we have breweries all the time that are very interested, but they're worried about someone getting hurt and it's a respectable concern. You know, yeah. I totally get it. So there is some insurance coverage in the event that a sanctioned meet, if everybody's a member and the meet is sanctioned properly, um, if someone does get hurt, there is a certain amount of insurance um, that helps. Okay. And then all that can be found on the USAW website. Yeah, I'm not right. 100% sure where it would be on the USA Weightlifting website. I'm sure it's up there. Um, I, I do have copies of that stuff just from the past. Yeah. But it, it's probably up there. Um, have you ever done or thought about doing a non-sanctioned meet? Um, I considered it, but I, n- I never even have non-sanctioned um, sessions. You know, some people have non-sanctioned sections or like in the past when CrossFit was new and, and, and people weren't necessarily members of mm-hmm. BSO weightlifting, they would have non-sanctioned sessions for that. But for the insurance reasons, I just never entertained that idea. Yeah. But especially if I'm going into um, a, a brewery and trying to build a relationship because there's enough USO weightlifting members and I think there's benefits of being a member of USO weightlifting beyond competing at one meet. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I, I basically always just encourage people if they're going to sign up, I say, you have to be a member. Um, and then that protects the brewery and myself as the meet director. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, how do you feel about the, uh, did, well, did you go to the Arnold this year? I didn't. I mean, I know about it, and it was like historically large. Um, mm-hmm. My wife and I had a had a baby February twentieth, okay. and the Arnold was like two weeks after that. And so, um, for obvious reasons, I decided not to go <laughs> this year. But, uh, but yeah. yeah, well, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Um, well, you know, babies fly for free. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, one of our friends just, they're like two weeks away or a week away from having their second, I think. And and he, I was joking around with him because he, he wanted to go down to the Cohen in Baton Rouge. And I'm like, hey, man, they, they fly for free. Don't worry about it. And she heard me and she didn't think it was funny. Yeah. <laughs> but um, what do you have coming up? What's your, what's your, uh, what's the rest of the year look like for you for training? Um competing yourself and then uh any other competitions you have coming up sure yeah so a couple competitions i'm the i'm the president of the new england wso so we have the bay state games coming up in july we have the wso championships in september um and that's going to be at a cool location i uh, was able to get connected with a guy named donnie venterosa and he was able to secure the American Heritage Museum, which is basically a military museum. So a very unique location. We're going to be in the hangar. That's um, so awesome. September 3rd and 4th. Yeah, we're really excited about it. Um, uh, on the books, we have the Southeast Championships in September. Um, and, and for my own lifting, you know, mostly nationals. And hopefully I do well enough at that to make the world team, but we'll see. So, yeah. What are your numbers at right now? Um. Yeah, I mean, I've been doing pretty well, so I've hit, you know, pretty good numbers in training, um, you know, 45 in training consistently and, and 75 to 80, so uh, things nice. are going pretty well. What's your, what are your all-time best for snatch and clean and jerk in a competition? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in the 85 kilo weight class, I had a 341 total. Um, and then I kind of floated between 77 and the 77 kilo weight class. My best total was 329. Okay. Um, and then, you know, I wasn't training full time for a long time, so um, my numbers are creeping back up to to all time numbers now. Nice. Um, what's the qualifying the the qualifying total for uh, for the world team? Uh, it depends. You have to be in the top ten, uh, regardless of weight class. So so it's not a static number. Oh, okay. Um, so it totally depends on the competition, which is which is pretty high, but. Let's say if I did like a 330 at 81 kilos or um, somewhere around 340 as an 89, that, you know, it, it, there's certainly no guarantees because there's so much competition, but those, those yeah. would be like competitive numbers to be in the running. Nice. Um, I just forgot the question I was going to ask. Um, I just freaking lost it. Dang it. <laughs> it's just like went right out the window. Um, how do you feel about um, doing outdoor meets? Have you ever been in one? You know, I, I haven't actually competed in one or hosted one. Uh, it's been, there's a lot of uh, breweries as well as locations, you know, that, that have like mountain views and stuff like that. Um, would love to do it. I've always been a little scared, you know, what if it rains, but, uh, you know, you should, shouldn't live your life being scared. Um, but you, you do have to have a backup plan. So I would make sure that the location has the ability to host it inside if you need it. Yeah. Um, so that you can pivot in some way. Um, but you know, people pulled it off. Um, so yeah, go for it, man. Let me know how it goes. And, uh, take some photos and videos heck yeah no that's my main worry over here you know pacific northwest rains like 70 percent of the year so yeah. it's like <laughs> have a very small window and there's always that chance i mean shoot we had snow like two weeks ago really wow yeah six inches of snow outside my work Jeez, unreal but hey man it was great having you on and uh i'd love to have you on again and and talk about what you're doing for your athletes coming up on a major major competition and um yeah just talk about what what your philosophy on training and philosophy on coaching your athletes is and and how you go about programming um but obviously that's another podcast so yeah yeah i would love to do that so you thanks for having me on and uh look forward to chatting with you in the future all right sounds good man i'll talk to you later bye bye